All right, well, if you have a Bible, please turn in it to Romans 7. The verses we're going to look at are also um, in the bulletin. So at a time like this, people often question God. When the world seems to spiral out of control, people wonder, like, is there a God? Where is God? What's happening? Um, A lot of folks that aren't Christian think, how could God be real if a pandemic like this can drive fear and panic into societies across the world? Um, And then Christians also wonder the same things. Like, this is one of those times when the problem of evil and suffering, like, it shakes all of us. Um, and when life, it, it, it's kind of like if, if the virus doesn't get us, then surely the panic will. Um, and so in this, people wonder, like, can we trust God? Where is God? Um, and I want to ask today, like, how can we know if God is close? How can we know if God cares when everything seems so bad? Um, When life starts to unravel, there are a lot of people that look to God for answers. And what do we tell them? Like, how can we know if God is close? And so we've been spending time reading a particular passage in this letter that um, this guy named Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And, uh, And it's good for us, especially in times of uncertainty, Because the passage we're going to look at today, it shows us how we can do something today that will get a response from God. If we follow what this passage says, um, we will hear, like we will get a response from God. Um, It was written by Paul. Paul was one of the leaders in the early church. And in the passage that we're going to read, um, he does two things. First, he gets very real. Paul is brutally honest in a way that makes a lot of people even uncomfortable. Um, But more importantly than making us uncomfortable, the way Paul gets real, it makes room for us. It makes room for us. So if you identify with anything in the passage that we're going to read, you're not alone. Um, The guy who wrote half of the New Testament uh, felt the way that you identify with. And then the second thing that we're going to see is that Paul is describing in this passage how he went from brokenness and real to experience God's presence. And so the outcome of Paul's realness made him closer to God, and it can help us to be closer to God as well. And so we're going to read this passage. It'll be up, um, it'll be up on the screens. We're going to read Romans 7, verses 8 through 25, because I want you to see the context of the, of the few verses we're going to look at that are in your bulletin. Paul says this, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, uh, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that whenever I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Man, I mean, this is so real. Every week that we look at this, it just, it's so honest. Paul is telling himself, he's telling God, he's even telling this church, I'm awful. He's saying, I can't believe what I did. I can't believe that I did this. Can you relate? If you felt in any way that these verses describe, so did the guy who wrote half the New Testament. I'm a pastor, but even before I was a pastor, people would tell me things. But I have talked to people all the time who have done really, really awful things. Um, but they can't admit it. They have trouble admitting it because they don't know what to do with what they've done. They know they're guilty. They feel shame, but they don't know what to do about it. And if you don't know what to do about it, talking about it makes it more real, which is kind of worse. Um, and so they avoid it. But not being real is being fake. And then it creates superficial relationships with other people and also a superficial relationship with God. Friends, it's hard to experience God when you're not real with him. Like, this is huge. And so what do we do? Most people, they just resolve to do better. Right, have you ever done that? Okay, I'm never gonna do this again. All right, this is the last time. I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. I'm not gonna be in this situation. I mean, right? I mean, this is how most of us respond. We just wanna resolve to do better, but we can't do that. Because if we're guilty, if we feel shame, then just stopping, and, and do we ever just stop? I mean, maybe for a little while, but, but just stopping, even if we could just stop, it doesn't fix what we've already done. And Paul says something so powerful uh, in verse 16. There is something so amazing. This sentence is as powerful as it is overlooked and not understood. I personally, I've read this chapter of Romans hundreds of times. I have taught this chapter of Romans 
dozens of times. And something hit me this time that I've never seen before. Because sometimes you read a passage and you're like, well, I know what I love about this passage. And you just sort of see what you've seen before. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. But I saw something that I haven't seen before that's in the text. And I want to share it with you. Because Paul tells us exactly what we can do to connect with God in the midst of being real. For Paul, it's not just about being honest about how broken you are, how much you struggle, but it's what do you do with that? It's, it's how to connect with God in the midst of being real about our brokenness. And so it's in verse 16, but I want to read verse 15 just to put it together there. So verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. That's real. In verse 16, he says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Man, what's he saying here in this verse? Verse 16, he's saying, by saying that I don't want to do what I'm doing, I'm saying that I agree with God and I agree with God's law. Okay, so what Paul's doing here in this verse is he's evaluating himself and his behavior. He's holding himself responsible. He knows he's guilty, and he is agreeing with God's ways. But that's what he's saying. Like, I agree with the law. I agree with God's instruction. I agree with God's ways, with God's thinking. And so to agree with God and to agree with God's law it's to say the same thing as God, right? The word agree in this passage, it, it means to affirm with. So you're affirming something with someone, and it's God. He's affirming with God. And again, it means to say the same thing. So if God says that you are guilty, if this is something that you're doing that God hates, then Paul is here saying the same thing. He's saying, I do what I do not want. So I'm agreeing with the law. Make sense? Well, there's another word that is really important in Christianity that means the same thing as agreeing with God and agreeing with his law. It's the word confess. Confess. Fess means admit. Right? You fess up to something, you admit it. Uh, and con means with. And so, the word confess means to admit with. It means to agree with. It means to, to say the same thing as God. And so, this verse is actually the reason why Christians make such a big deal about confessing our sins. Right? This is why we do it. Because in the midst of being real, when we come face to face with just how bad we've been, the way through being real that ends with God is verse 16. In the middle of this passage where Paul is getting so real, verse 16 in the middle, he's saying, when we say the same thing as God about our sins, we agree with God's ways and agreeing with God brings us back to him.
And so this is what Paul is directing us to. In the middle of Paul's honesty, Paul is also saying, I'm agreeing with God. I'm saying the same thing about who I am and what I've done as God. And so confessing your sins, agreeing with God is coming back to God. Okay? I, I know that many of you think there are voices in your head that say that's not true. There are voices in your head that say until you fix this in your life, you're not back with God. Until this is eliminated in your life, God doesn't actually want you. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. Like I'm agreeing with God. And agreeing with God is coming back. Agreeing with God is saying, I've been wrong. Agreeing with God is saying, God, I want you again. And so the key to dealing with what you've done is to confess your sins to God. The place to find hope in the midst of your struggles is to confess your sins to God. The way to connect to God in the face of your brokenness is to confess your sins to God. There are things that you can fix in your life. Okay? There are struggles that if you try a little harder, if you pay more attention, if you think about the way God thinks about it, you can change. And then there's other things that just don't seem to go away. Right? There are other things that just you don't seem to be able to make any progress in. This is true in my own life, in my own heart. Years and years, sometimes decades of struggle, decades of hating myself, decades of wishing I were someone else. Sometimes the only thing that you have to offer to God in the face of your brokenness is your confession. Sometimes that is all you have. Sometimes all you can say is what Paul says here. Now, if I do what I do not want, at least I agree with the law. Like, at least I'm on God's side against me. This verse lets us come back to God no matter what. No matter what. How do I know that? Well, because of what other parts of the Bible say. Let me share with you 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 2. It says this. It says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Pretty straightforward, right? If you say, I haven't sinned, not me. 
I've lived perfectly my entire life in every way. Um, you dece- you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. But, but, verse nine, if we confess our sins, he, this is God, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, here it is. This is the promise from God. This is God's inspired and perfect word. Come to you today. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is who God is. This is how God reacts. When you do what Paul did, when you agree with God about how broken you are, God says he forgives you. And he does this because he's faithful and just. Faithful means he is your loving father. He has adopted you as one of his children and he will never stop loving you. If you are trusting him, if you're agreeing with him, if that's all you have is agreeing with him, if that's all you got, he is faithful to forgive you. But he's also just. He's just. What does that mean? Well, before I tell you what that means, that he's just to forgive us, um, I, I want you to see that he forgives our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So God does two things. He forgives us and he cleanses us. And when I think about this, I think about like sin comes from a blackened heart, right? And so what this passage is saying is that God not only forgives the sins that come out of us, but the cleanse from all unrighteousness, I feel like he kind of goes in with a, with a rag and he buffs out the blackness that produced that sin in the first place. And so confessing our sins is not just important for us to be forgiven, but it also has power to cleanse us and make us more like Jesus. So part of the reason why Paul got so real, part of the reason why is because he knew that getting this real was part of him growing. It was part of him getting better. And the better you do with confessing your sins, um, the better you get at not only confessing what you've done, but then you start, you go, you start going a little deeper. Because when stuff happens over and over and over again, you, you need to start asking the question, why? Like, why do I keep doing this? What else is going on inside of me? that causes me to keep doing this. And you begin to confess more and more deeply. Um, sometimes you're confessing the reasons why you're doing stuff. And, and that's a process that God uses to cleanse us and give us more things where we can agree with God so that he can begin to do work. And so, but how is God just? Well, he makes it clear as he goes on. Um, in 1 John 1 verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then chapter two, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And so the reason that Paul could get real is because he knew Jesus. The reason that Paul agreed with God is because he knew that if he confessed his sins, God would forgive him. He knew that God wouldn't condemn him or banish him for what he had done, for being this broken, because God forgave him because Jesus was the propitiation for his sins. Now, propitiation is just a fancy word that means that Jesus is God not punishing us, but Jesus is God absorbing the pain that our sins caused so that we don't have to pay for it. I mean, when we sin, justice demands that we be punished, and Jesus took the punishment for us. And so propitiation means that God's just anger is satisfied. And so God is free to say, I forgive you. You are forgiven. You are my little children. And so this is God's response because he loves you. So sometimes all you have to offer to God is your confession. And that's it. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is A Beautiful Mind. In this movie, uh, a woman comes to grips with the fact that her husband has paranoid schizophrenia. And he gets on this medication, which makes his, he's got these paranoid delusions, and it makes, the medication makes his delusions go away, but the medication makes him a fraction of himself, and he becomes an empty shell of a person. He can't really communicate, he can't think, he's literally just like a a robot, like going through life, and it's, it's meaningless to him. And so he and his wife decide to go off the medication and they work together to try to beat the delusions. Well, soon after he goes off the medication, he has this awful day. His delusions take over, and he fails in public shame. And that night, he's back home, and he's sitting with his wife at dinner, and he just says, I can't do it. It was awful. Maybe the doctor's right. Maybe I should go back to the hospital and back on the medication. He's just given up. He's given up after all the shame, after everything that happened. It was such a public demonstration that was so miserable to him. He's like, I'm just done. Maybe I should go back to the hospital. Maybe go back on medication. And his wife grabs him by the hand. She grabs his hand and she looks into his eyes and she says, maybe we can try again tomorrow. Friends, when you agree with God, God looks at you and so often has tears streaming down his face because he knows how hurt you can be to struggle. And he says, maybe we'll try again tomorrow. You're still forgiven. I still love you. I'm still your God. This is true for you personally. Like God's not done with you. Forgiveness is real. And this isn't just theology. (laughs) You know, this isn't just a verse in Romans and then some verses in 1 John. Like this is Jesus himself showing us how God feels about you. What do I mean? Well, I want to share with you. Last week we talked about how Peter failed Jesus miserably. Right? He denied him. 
Jesus said he was, it was going to happen. And Jesus told Peter, like, before it happened, I love you. This awful thing's going to happen, but I'm praying for you, and it's not the end, right? Well, then Peter fails Jesus and realizes his failure, and then he just gave it everything up. He just gave up, and he wept bitterly because his life was over. But then, in Mark chapter 16, right, Peter fails in Mark 15. In Mark chapter 16, at the tomb of the risen Savior, here's what it says in verses 6 and 7. The people that came to the tomb. This is, I think this is the, these are the women. The women that came to the tomb to find Jesus and they didn't find Jesus. He was dead. The angel appeared there and, they, and, and this is what the angel said. He said, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. <laughs> Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This blows me away. This blows me away. This is the greatest news in the history of humanity. Like, the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the reality that Jesus is everything that he said he was, and not just that, but that the kingdom of God has come, that Jesus has come and brought the kingdom, and Jesus, who was crucified, who was betrayed, who was handed over to the Romans, who was betrayed by the Jews, right? Like, all of this, Jesus was destroyed and defeated in death, and he came out the other side. Jesus came out, he emerged from the grave in resurrection eternity, And this news needs to go out. And so the angel says, tell his disciples. And Peter. And Peter. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Go tell the disciples that he's risen. Tell them he'll meet you in Galilee. But that's not what he says. Go tell the disciples and Peter. It's because Jesus knows that Peter needs to hear that he is included. It's because Jesus knows that Peter failed Jesus. Jesus knows that Peter thinks there is no hope for him. And Jesus says, yes, there is. Jesus says, you personally. Jesus says, you agree with me about what you did. And so I forgive you. Tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure that Peter knows that this news is for him too. So friends, forgiveness is as real as our sin. Sometimes all you can do is agree with God about what you've done. And God rushes to flood you with his love and forgiveness. And Peter. You can put your name in there. Put your name in there. This is what sets people free. Like that Jesus loves you this much. That he cares about you knowing everything that you've done. If you confess your sins today, This is true for Christians and non-Christians. For non-Christians, this might be the first time you've ever confessed your sins to God. This is how he's going to respond. He will forgive you and bring you into his family. 
Christians, it might be the 101st time that you've confessed. The answer is the same. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he hasn't done too much. He hasn't run too far. This has transformed the hearts of people for 2,000 years. Jesus' followers have been revolutionizing the world. Jesus' followers have been facing the worst that can happen in the world with hope and even joy because the burden of their guilt is lifted and they know that no matter what happens, God loves them. And this is what we need today. This is what our friends need, our coworkers need, our colleagues need, our neighbors. They need to see this. They need this part of Jesus. Especially at a time like this. Um, Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And this is what he said about what happened when the empire, the Roman Empire, was gripped by plagues. He said, Christian teaching proved its worth when the Roman Empire was gripped with plagues. Two epidemics in the years 165 and 260, each striking with such uh, virulence as to wipe out a quarter to a third of the population. In the midst of pervasive fear and death, While pagans fled for their lives, leaving stricken family members to fend for themselves, Christians volunteered to nurse the sick. In showing Christian love, some of them lost their lives to the contagion. According to the Bishop of Alexandria, he said this, Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Friends, this is what happens when you are gripped by the gospel you realize that Jesus is who we're living for. We realize that there is a bigger purpose, a bigger mission, something more important for all of us. This is how, you you can't just resist the fear of worshiping your anxiety. You gotta worship something else. And when you see what Jesus has done, and he goes on, he says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of their sick, attending their every need. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. Man. So Jesus today wants you to know that he loves you. Jesus today wants you to feel that he is able to overwhelm with his love your fear. 
And Jesus wants us to be the church. Jesus wants us to pay attention to the needs of the people around us. And so I want you for the rest of the service as we slow down, we're gonna sing, we're gonna have communion. I want you to, in your mind, link arms with some people in our church. I want you to leave this place, not by yourself, but with some other people in your mind and in your heart. And I want you to be, I want you to minister to them. I want you to care for people who aren't here. I want you to care for people who are too old to come, who, are, who might need someone to go to the grocery store for them. Um, parents who maybe don't have a place for their kids now because their kids aren't in school. Um, maybe you've got airline miles and we have students that need uh, to fly home and can't afford it. Right? We need to gather together and be this kind of a church for each other. We need to love each other like this. Um, and then look for opportunities outside. Like there's no greater, there's no greater reaction than we could have to the next, who knows, number of months than to have this kind of faith and this kind of joy because we have this kind of savior. If you know of needs, let us know what they are. Please use the connection cards. If you know of someone who has a need, let us know so that we can move the resources of our church to, uh, to meet those needs. Um, and then just be open. Be waiting for emails or contact to see if you'd be able to spend some of your time and energy to care for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who is so gracious, so full of love that you would come, that you would die for us so that we could know for sure that when we confess our sins, when we own our brokenness, that you forgive us. God, work in the hearts of everyone here, everyone who's watching online. Meet us individually, personally. Thank you for sending the message to the disciples and Peter. Help us to hear your word personally to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.